Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon. And today we have a very special program. We have a very special guest, uh, and that is Daniel Sheehan. Uh, Daniel Sheehan has, uh, has you know, played a role in, in historical legal cases, uh, you know, such as the Pentagon Papers, Iran-Contra, and, and very relevant to this early on, over 20 years ago now, the Disclosure Project, which uh, is incredibly important, in my opinion, for where we are now. Uh, regarding disclosure. So uh, welcome, Daniel. Terrific. Thanks, James. And uh, before we start, I want to thank you for all your work. And, you know, we it's, it's it's great to have you as an ally in this endeavor because it, it, they need somebody just like you. And I'm, I'm sure that the people in the background trying to obfuscate the UFO and UIP issue are probably uh, familiar with your name <laughs> and your reputation. So you, you're just the guy for the job. I think so. So, uh, you know, one, one, one very relevant topic that we're going to dis- discuss here is the, the UAP uh, amendment, you know, yes. the language that was, was put forth in the Schumer and Schumer and Rounds, the, the Schumer amendment regarding UAP. Yes. So just for people uh, watching and listening, can you add context? Can you explain to people what, what is the Schumer amendment, the language, and uh, what is its relevance? Exactly. The, the Schumer amendment. Uh, is a 64-page supplement uh, to be added to the National Defense Authorization Act. The the National Defense Authorization Act is the big omnibus bill uh, that is passed every year right around December 21st or so, one of the last actions of the the Senate and House before they break for the Christmas and New Year's break. Uh, It's the end of the the term, uh, the, the first of two terms for the House members. And so that they they bring up this omnibus bill uh, and it covers everything from, you know, the, the $500 coffee pots for the Defense Department uh, to nuclear submarines and uh, F-18 fighter planes, how many more they're gonna build. Uh, and so everything is put into that one omnibus bill uh, and they vote on it on the floor up or down. Uh, and it's become a, a, a repository for all of the different issues, that every issue that relates to the Defense Department. Uh, and since the UFO issue has been dealt with by the United States Defense Department and the Pentagon uh, as a military issue uh, for the last 75 years, uh, now that they've decided they're going to start addressing uh, the, the UFO issue, they do it under the rubric of the military. Uh, and so the, uh, the decision has been made by uh, Senator Schumer, the majority leader in the, in the Senate, to insert into the, the Omnibus National Defense Authorization Act this 64-page uh, supplement. Uh, the, the, the NDAA itself is like over 1,000 pages long. So the 64-page thing addresses the issue of the fact that the United States military and intelligence agencies uh, have had in their possession for some time, decades, in fact, uh, a uh, crashed uh, or downed UFO vehicle, uh, which they have uh, adopted the operative conclusion, uh, or at least functional theory, that it's extraterrestrial. Uh, And in fact, they have now recovered uh, physical body parts uh, from a crash, uh, and they've run DNA tests on it, and they know 
that the the occupants of the UFO vehicles are not human. Uh, they're obviously highly technologically developed and intelligent, uh, but they're not human. Uh, and so now uh, uh, people have come started to come forward from inside the program and have insisted that this information be uh, turned over to the United States Congress. Uh, this was initiated by people inside the program, inside the Pentagon, Lou Elizondo, uh, David Grush, a, a number of other people, uh, uh, Chris Mellon, uh, a number of people have felt so strongly that this information needs to be conveyed to the United, members of the United States Congress so that they can begin to formulate more than simply military responses to this reality, uh, but to start to entertain more philosophical, theological, you know, economic uh, and geopolitical implications of this. So Senator Schumer has prepared this bill, uh, which is is called the, the UAP. They've they've changed the the designation of UFOs <laughs> to uh, UAPs, which initially stood for Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon uh, instead of a UFO. Uh, they now want to call it an Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon uh, because it also travels underwater. Uh, the, the UFO vehicles have now been recognized to uh, to not only descend from over 80,000 feet, which is technically outer space, but they descend down to the surface of the ocean or our, our land areas, you know, in 0.7 tenths of one second. Uh, and, uh, and they stop instantly, uh, generating something like 5,000 Gs. <laughs> which would tear any kind of vehicle apart uh, that we have any conceivable knowledge of. Uh, and then they go underwater and they travel at over 100 miles an hour underwater, apparently more or less unimpeded by the water resistance. And so the, you can see why the military might be concerned about this. But now that we know that this is uh, of a non-human origin uh, and most likely uh, extraterrestrial, uh, the Congress of the United States has now started to demand that it be informed. And it's clear that the military uh, services and the uh, intelligence agencies, and more importantly, or equally importantly, the, the private aerospace industry that has been trying to get its hands on uh, this technology so they can use it for their personal private profit, uh, have been pushing back and insisting upon keeping it secret, even from Congress. Uh, and so Congress has now stepped forward in a, in a almost, almost unique uh, bipartisan way with all, almost virtually all of the, the Republican and Democratic senators and virtually all of the Republican and Democratic House members insisting that they be briefed in on uh, this. Now, uh, the, it's, it's taken the form of this particular bill. Uh, which the Senate Majority Leader has has crafted with his staff and outside uh, assistance uh, into this bill, which is called the UAP uh, Disclosure uh, Act. You know, and so that what they what they're proposing doing in the in the bill that's going to be inserted into the national defense budget uh, is setting up a nine person uh, commission, basically, uh, to be appointed by the president. Uh, to uh, extract all of this information from all six of the United States uh, military services, all 18 of the United States intelligence agencies, 
all 32 of the United States Defense Department uh, agencies and departments, and very importantly, from all of the private aerospace uh, for-profit corporations that have been given any of this technology by the intelligence community in their effort to back-engineer the technology, uh, primarily to make weapons. Uh, uh, this is this is what's been going on. Uh, and so the United States Congress has demanded that they be briefed in, finally, uh, on all of this information. Now, we've, we've been going to members of Congress for the last 50 years, <laughs> basically, you know, uh, that I've been involved in, the, in this issue, uh, trying to get them to do something about it. And they've always been basically asserting that it's clear that the national security state people don't want Congress to know about this or don't want them to officially know about this. And so even though we've had numerous conversations with various senators and, and House members, uh, ever since I was uh, chief counsel for the United States Jesuit order uh, in their National Social Ministry Office in Washington, you know, starting back in 1975, you know, every time we, we talk with any one of the senators or the members of the House of Representatives, they always say the same thing. Oh, look, we know this is a very important thing, but we have not been officially briefed in by the intelligence community or the Pentagon. And so therefore, uh, this is a political hot potato. Uh, and that we can't uh, push on this because the, we will be retaliated against you know, by the intelligence community. Uh, and, and this raises an extraordinarily serious uh, issue that we need to talk about here this morning, is that the the national security state, uh, the CIA and DIA and others uh, that are part of the, the so-called deep state uh, of the United States, the national security state and infrastructure, have a track record over the past 75 years of having engaged in violent, uh, threatening uh, activity uh, toward anyone who tries to brief in the Congress of the United States or try to take some kind of official position with regard to uh, the UFO phenomenon. They've, uh, they've uh, threatened to kill people. They've destroyed people's family lives. They've destroyed their career uh, by, by putting out false information about people. <clears throat> and so this threat, that is represented by the national security state operations uh, of our United States government uh, since 1947 uh, is a factor here. Uh, and it frightens members of our elected representatives in the House and Senate. And they reflect this to us. Now they go, oh, look, at, I'm, not, I'm not going near this because you know all of a sudden you know a million dollars will show up in the campaign against me in my next election. And so I'm not going to do this. And so what's happened here is finally we've broken through uh, and we've we've been able to get enough of the people in the U.S. Senate and inside the Senate Intelligence Committee, very importantly, uh, and inside the House who have basically, you know, uh, stood up on their hind legs and have asserted they're going to insist upon being briefed in uh, on this now. And this has taken the form of this uh, UAP or UFO uh, Disclosure Act. And it is, it is going to be setting up, uh, it's intending to set up this nine-person commission that the president is going to appoint, and they're going to have the power to extract the, all of this information from all the military services and intelligence agencies and private corporations and put it into the hands of the United States Congress. Uh, and that is being resisted. Uh, even though there's overwhelming uh, bipartisan support for this in both the House and the Senate, it's being resisted 
by like four people. Uh, you know, uh, the, one of them is Michael Turner, who is the head of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, even though virtually all of his members of, of that committee want this bill passed. Michael Turner is taking the position that he's opposing it. Uh, it turns out that he comes from the 10th District in Ohio, which is where the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is, where the original crashed saucer uh, from, uh, from uh, Roswell. Roswell, New Mexico, was taken back in July of 1947. And we have all the documented records of that having been done. Uh, and the other person who's uh, opposing this is the person, uh, his, his name is Mike Rogers. He is the head of the House Armed Services Committee. And he comes from the second congressional district in Alabama, which is right next door to the, to the uh, Redstone Missile Range. And what they're doing is they're trying to use this extraordinary technology by means of which the UFO vehicles appear to be engined and by means of which they move, they're trying to make uh, uh, deadly nuclear missiles uh, out of this technology. Uh, and they'd be testing them down at uh, Redstone. And so that these two guys uh, have been targeted by the national security state uh, that has shown its willingness to use threats of violence and blackmail and extortion They've targeted these two guys uh, that are the the Senate, the Congress people from those two districts. Uh, and basically, they're implicitly threatening them, uh, saying that they're going to either, you know, uh, stop funding them, which it, tur it turns out Mike Rogers, for example, the head of the Armed Services Committee in the House, his principal financier is Lockheed Martin that is in possession of some of this UFO technology. They've been put in possession of it by the deep state by the the uh, elements inside the United States government uh, who are hiding this information from Congress. <clears throat> but they've turned over the technology to Lockheed Martin. And there's this other group uh, that is called Radiance, uh, Radiance uh, Technology. Uh, and these people want to keep the technology secret so that they can make literally trillions of dollars uh, on uh, using this technology in weapon systems. Uh, and so that this, this is an extraordinarily important moment in our constitutional government uh, to be able to demonstrate that the overwhelming majority of elected representatives in the Senate and in the House have the constitutional power to be able to demand that they be briefed in on this information. Uh, and these two men, you know, Turner over in the in the House Intelligence Committee and Rogers in the House Armed Service Committee, they've now uh, recruited uh, Michael Johnson, this brand new Speaker of the House who's taken Kevin McCarthy's place, who who basically we won't even go into at length how ridiculous this guy is. <laughs> but the bottom but the bottom line is he's been recruited now and the three of them. Uh, Michael Turner uh, in the Intelligence Committee, uh, Michael Rogers in the Armed Services Committee, and now uh, Michael Johnson in the, the Speaker of the House have now gotten McConnell, Mitch McConnell, uh, the, the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, to join with them in trying to block this statute, trying to keep the, uh, the, the UFO information secret from Congress. And that's what this bill is, the, the UAP or UFO Disclosure Act. And what the purpose of this act is, is to set up a, a program pursuant to which not only will the Congress be briefed in in detail 
about what all the information is that's been garnered ever since basically January 1st of 1945 uh, about this uh, issue of the UFOs and this extraterrestrial intelligence or non-human intelligence that are, are piloting these craft, uh, but also to find out what, if any, communication has been established with this extraterrestrial civilization, you know, uh, what, uh, how they've lied to our State Department and pretended they don't have any information about this. Uh, and uh, this, is a, this is a major constitutional moment uh, for our country to see if we can overcome the power uh, of this deep state uh, and of its alliance with private uh, industry and the aerospace industry to succeed in getting this statute passed. Yeah. And I, it, for everybody listening, I'm going to try not to interrupt you just because uh, you have you have so many important uh, things to say and, and, and a great wealth of knowledge. So I, I hope people are taking notes here because there's a lot of important information being discussed here. Um, yeah, one, one thing uh, that came up during uh, the Soul Foundation um, with uh, former uh, Colonel Carl Nell, he had a slide and uh, it had the controlled disclosure plan and that's something that comes up in the language that's right so i you know i want to ask you about controlled disclosure and yeah. and catastrophic disclosure so what what are those and what's the plan well what it is is that the the staff people that were involved in actually drafting this statute uh believe that the information uh about the UFOs and about this non-human uh, intelligence or potentially extraterrestrial civilization needs to be provided to the people uh, in a coherent, uh, uh, comprehensible manner because it is of such impact uh, uh, psychologically, uh, sociologically, geopolitically, economically, uh, in you know a dozen other ways. Uh, that they want to, now that they've resolved within the Congress, that at least the vast majority of both the Republican and Democratic Party, to make this information available to the people, what they want to do is they want to have a, an intelligent, careful process by means of which this is rolled out and provided to the people, uh, and the means by which it's going to be uh, decided what information is going to be released and how quickly uh, and in what kind of form, format, et cetera, uh, what, the, what they, they consider that controlled disclosure. Uh, and they've set up a, a, a set of protocols inside this 64-page piece of legislation, setting up a, a method by which this can be done, uh, how it's going to be ordered initially that every single one of these, these uh, six military uh, services each one of the 18 intelligence agencies, each one of the 32 Defense Department agencies, and all of these uh, private aerospace technology industries that have any of this technology in their possession, this, they've been given by the United States Deep State to try to back engineer for weapons, it has to all be communicated over to the Congress. And they'll be given 300 days from the date uh, of the passage of this statute now, they're given 300 days to assemble all of that information, put it into digital format and, and have it be indexed so that it can be researched and searched uh, by members of Congress. So they're given basically 300 days to do that. And then the the board, uh, it's, it's called the UAP Records Review Board, that 
this board of nine people uh, will then have 180 days uh, within which to determine which of this information is going to be made public. All right. Now, very importantly, uh, any information uh, that has been that is provided to the uh, the special board, you know, within the 300 day period from the passage of this act, uh, that any information that was obtained 25 years ago or earlier has to be revealed to the public right away, uh, unless the president himself, uh, unless the president himself uh, uh, personally says he wants that information, some piece of that information postponed for specific reasons that are set forth in the statute. Uh, and uh, that otherwise all of that information from 25 years ago and earlier on has to be revealed within the first 180 days after the committee gets it. Uh, now that's an extraordinary amount of information. Uh, our new paradigm Institute uh, in Washington, DC, which is the, one of the only private uh, citizen groups that is resident inside the federal enclave, right? We're right next door to the Senate office building yeah. uh, and immediately next door to the United States Supreme Court. Our job is to oversee uh, that information as it's being released to the American public so that we can help choreograph this information and codify this information and put it forward in a way that can be understood by, by people, Okay. Uh, it's not just going to get dumped out onto the, the public in some incoherent manner. You know, they're not just going to take 100 boxes of things and just toss it out on the yeah. street. You know, so that that's our job. Uh, and therefore, we've been designated, the New Paradigm Institute is designated in the statute uh, as the, uh, the UAP Disclosure Foundation uh, that has responsibility for nominating people to be on this nine-person uh, board. Uh, and we're uh, going to be supervising uh, the uh, the flow of this information out to the people so that it can be understood and, and comprehended by the people and understood in the larger context of its socioeconomic impacts, its social psychological impacts, its theological, religious in, import, uh, etc. And that's that's what we're we're doing right now. That is called controlled disclosure, as distinct from what the the authors and others keep referring to as catastrophic disclosure. And that is basically just dumping it all out, uh, everything, uh, without any kind of vetting, uh, uh, without any kind of analysis of what its impact is going to be, the, the potential revelation of the means of uh, by which uh, information has been gathered about the extraterrestrial civilization, you know, the, 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 the confidential sources that, that people have. All of this is taken into account in the statute. Okay, to protect uh, certain information, but there has to be some sort of a controlled method by means of which this information is vetted and released. Now, the fact that the statute contains a seven-year uh, sunset clause uh, has been interpreted, I think, realistically, as an indication that this is planned to be undertaken over a seven-year period. That not not only the and, and it won't start until after the 2024 election. You know, that's why there, there, it has a 300 day period during which all of these agencies are going to be given time to put it all together and put it into digital format and make it available uh, to the nine person uh, board. Uh, and the nine person board is going to be given those 300 days to staff up, to prepare its protocols and to its, uh, work up its internal working uh, programs. 
So, so there's going to be a year uh, that this is going to be delayed uh, in getting ready for the, the release of this. And then whoever the, the president is after the 2024 election, uh, that president is going to have responsibility for determining if there is any piece of information that uh, he or she wants to have postponed uh, from immediate release, that that's going to go into this category of postponed information. Uh, and this bill provides, therefore, for a controlled disclosure campaign plan that is designed by this nine-person board uh, that is going to be provided to the president, and they're going to be advising how this this rollout should take place uh, of the postponed information. But there, the presumption is is that the vast majority of this information is going to be released to the public within 180 days after they get it. Uh, and so that there's a there's a plan inside this bill for a major rollout to take place, basically 480 days, uh, round figures, 480 days from the passage of the statute. Right. Now, some people are upset about that, saying, well, why don't we get it immediately? Why do we have to wait 480 days? I mean, we've waited 75 years, you know, for this <laughs> anxiously and have been working like mad I've been working at this since 1977, you know, when I was at Jesuit headquarters uh, and uh, we were asked to, you know, participate in briefing uh, President Carter about the UFO issue. And I was asked to get information from the Vatican, you know, uh, out of the Jesuit headquarters here uh, to make this available to the president. Uh, we've, we've had this long period uh, of interviewing potential sources, whistleblowers. We've uh, vetted them. We've decided which ones are the more credible of all of these. Uh, we've now made these available to the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, who has interviewed these people. Uh, David Grush is the first of them to come forward in a formal setting uh, in a congressional public hearing. And he's revealed the fact that, that our, our deep state uh, intelligence agencies, uh, the CIA specifically, uh, and others have uh, taken possession of uh, one or more of these UFO craft uh, and that they are in possession of biological evidence showing that the occupants are non-human. Uh, you know, do you know how many of these um, types of witnesses have already like, especially firsthand or individuals like David Grush have, have already come forward? 40. Okay. So that many already. To be, to be specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And do you, what do you, what do you think the, the extent of of such a public disclosure campaign is going to be i mean because you know it's it's one thing to see that in writing which which is amazing within itself completely absolutely amazing right. mm -hmm. um but to go from that to say you know how, how far how far are they really going to go with this like well a, a lot of it a lot of it depends on who the people are that are on that uh on that board you know, that uh, you, you can have a, a substantial cross-section of worldviews, you know, that, that our, our, human, our human family at the present time, you know, operates on a whole octave of different worldviews, you know, from the authoritarian to the reactionary, to the conservative, to the moderate, to the liberal, to the progressive, to the basically utopian. Uh, you know, these are all specific uh, uh, factions or subgroups within our human family that function pursuant to an entirely different worldview. Uh, and so that if we have a, a representative cross-section of these worldviews represented in the, the panel, 
that's going to be appointed, uh, then you're, what you're going to do is you're going to get uh, a, a different determination as to how much of this information they are going to want to reveal within the first 180 days. Uh, uh, and the, the, we, we don't know yet. Now, we're, we're, our office, the, the New Paradigm Institute, is, say, is one of the groups that has been authorized to nominate people to that panel. Uh, and uh, my position on this is that we want to have people who are more favorable for public disclosure than less favorable, uh, <laughs> to be clear. But there are other elements. Uh, for example, the, the heads of the intelligence committees uh, in both houses are, uh, are members of the nominating group. They, obviously, uh, Turner is going to try to uh, nominate somebody uh, to, the, to the panel or a whole group of people to the panel who are extraordinarily resistant to any public disclosure. So there's going to be some really, really interesting discussions that are going to go on, not unlike the discussions that go on in the United States Supreme Court among the justices. You know, there's nine of the members very similar to the Supreme Court. This can actually be perceived as analogous to this, uh, a Supreme Court uh, that is being impaneled to make these decisions as to how much of this information is going to be released within the first 180 days, how much is going to be postponed, and what the protocols are pursuant to which even the postponed information has to be publicly revealed. Uh, so my, my judgment is, is that we're, we're probably going to get a panel if we can get this passed. Well, I that's, mean, we, yeah, that's we a question I was going to say. So I, I know a lot of people are probably wondering, myself included, is if, you know, with, with the current resistance that the language is facing via, um, you know, Turner and others, yeah. you know, what what is the likelihood of, of the language actually passing? About 45 percent right now. Wow. OK, uh, that, that's, that, that's... Uh, which is a lot for for a, a bill of this magnitude. Uh, now, what we have to do is between now and December 21st, uh, when the scheduled vote uh, for the full National Defense Authorization Act is going to be on the floor uh, for, for a vote, uh, we have to raise that, you know, uh, to above 51 percent uh, in order to be able to start talking practically about exactly what the implementation is going to be, who's going to be on this board, et cetera. Uh, but but uh, we're close. We're close. And it's it's extraordinarily important that all of our listeners, you know, contact uh, the the their their senators and their congressperson to get them to support the the passage, the insertion of the UFO or UAP Disclosure Act into the national defense budget. Uh, this is absolutely crucial between now and December 21st. Uh, and if they go to the newparadigminstitute.org uh, on the Internet, they'll have a list of who their senators are uh, and who their congressional representatives are. They'll also have a list of who the people are on the conference committee, which is the Senate and House members who are trying to decide, you know, what the language is going to be, is going to be accepted here. Uh, so that this is, a, this is an opportunity for our citizenry to exercise our constitutional responsibility to contact our senators and congressional representatives to put the pressure on them to show that we're all supportive of getting this act put into the into the bill, uh, and so that's that's what's going to happen now. My my sense is is that if we mobilize uh, the full 
uh, uh, power that we have as the citizenry who are very clearly in favor of disclosure of this information, that we can we can raise the probabilities of this getting inserted into the national defense budget, uh, you know, uh, by December 21st, I think we can get the, the probabilities as high as 65%, you know, uh, that we can get this thing passed. Uh, and we don't we don't know what threats are going to be made uh, by the deep state uh, people against uh, Turner and against uh, Rogers and the others uh, or against any other senators. Uh, I mean, I had I had the experience uh, back in uh, 1970 1986 and 87 when we filed the federal criminal racketeering charges against the off the shelf enterprise of Oliver North. Uh, that the CIA was running guns to the Contras in violation of a direct order by Congress not to do this. And they were smuggling cocaine back into the United States on the same planes. When, when we, when we uh, got that uh, information, uh, we brought it to Senator Durenberger. Uh, and Senator Durenberger uh, got up on the floor of the United States Senate and publicly demanded a full congressional investigation of this off-the-shelf enterprise. Uh, and that night, uh, three men came to their home and dragged his wife out of bed and put a gun in her mouth and threatened to kill her uh, and their whole family if Senator Durenberg didn't withdraw his demand for having a, a, a congressional investigation of the off-the-shelf enterprise. I mean, so these are the kind of people that we're dealing with. We're dealing with a, a Central Intelligence Agency's operations directorate that feels itself to be authorized to actually murder people and to threaten United States senators and their families. This is the same group that actually ousted uh, a President Carter, you know, in the October surprise that people have all heard about. Uh, these, are the, these are the people that put millions of dollars of drug money that they'd, uh, they'd moved from the Nugenhand Bank in, in Australia through two banks in South Africa into Frank, Senator Frank Church's campaign, you know, up in Idaho for his seat in the Senate. And they ousted him because he had chaired the, the church committee investigations of illegal covert operations of these people. You know, they knocked off Dick Clark down in Iowa. They knocked off uh, Senator, uh, in, uh, they knocked off Senator uh, Birch Bayh from uh, uh, Indiana. I mean, this, these people are a renegade, unconstitutional, criminal operation. Uh, and they're in link now, in sync with, these uh, private aerospace industries that are uh, wanting to make literally trillions of dollars of profit throughout the future by, by being able to maintain secrecy over this extraordinary technology that the UFOs operate with, uh, and they want to use it for their private profit. So that, that, that we know that they're capable of uh, extraordinary steps to try to stop this bill from coming through and this is this is a chance for our United States citizenry to exercise our constitutional muscles here to get this bill put into law. Uh, and when they do, we know that the people that are the nine members of the panel that are going to be appointed are going to be subjected to the same kind of threats uh, and the same kind of pressure. Uh, and so that our new Paradigm Institute is there in Washington, D.C., to assist in mobilizing the American people uh, to protect the members of the board. Uh, against that kind of pressure and to uh, assist them in getting the kind of political support and even legal support that they're going to have to have so that we can, for example, provide uh, free legal services to the whistleblowers 
to prevent them from being retaliated against uh, by by this deep state. So this is this is what's happening right now, this very day that we're we're talking. Yeah. And one one thing somebody said was that people were being threatened that they were going to be removed from committees if they support this bill. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's what the that's what the chair people do. You got, you know, Chairman Mike Turner, uh, you know, in the Intelligence Committee, what they do is they they say, look, the chairman of this committee is ordering you to vote a certain way. You're a member of the Intelligence Committee. And if you don't, uh, they're going to go to the Republican caucus uh, in the House and get the Republican caucus to uh, to take you out of that seat. And, uh, you know, that's that that's the kind of pressure that gets put on these people by the national security state people reaching to them through the party political party structure. Uh, the, our American people have to basically take the opportunity of this extraordinary bill where such a huge majority of the people in our country want this bill passed. They want to have disclosure of the UFO phenomenon and they want to know about this extraterrestrial civilization. They want to know whether we've had any communication with them, what kind of uh, configuration they have, how many different star systems uh, may be involved in this thing. You know, that this is... This I is mean, do, the- you, do you have any indication that the, the, these people that, um, that have access to, let's say, a crash retrieval's bodies and, and, you know, the gatekeepers, so to speak, do you have an indication that they they have that kind of knowledge even themselves? Well, there's there's obviously some element that does. Uh, there there is some group of people that are the basic successors to what may have been called the Majestic Twelve that was appointed by uh, President Truman back in July of 1947. There were twelve people that were assigned this task to to at that time keep this information secret to determine what's going to be done with the craft, uh, what's going to be done with the bodies. You know, if they recover a live uh, uh, being from one of these craft, which they have, uh, how that how that uh, that being is going to be treated, you know, what kind of uh, interrogation they're going to be subjected to. You know, th- these the, the problem of having this entire thing prismed through the lens of the national security state uh, is not only that they're trying to keep this information secret so they can make weapons out of it, uh, but it's in, in aid of their effort to establish full spectrum military dominance over the planet, you know, and it's causing incredible amounts of problems. You know, in the Middle East, you know, we mount a full scale invasion to occupy the Middle Eastern oil field, you know, by lying uh, about the, the threat of weapons of mass destruction, you know, and then we discover that they lied to us and they go, well, OK, they lied to us. Nobody gets punished. Nobody, nobody gets called into account for that. Uh, you know, in the, the military people, we we put, you know, tens of thousands of U.S. military personnel on the ground there, lose, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people getting killed, tens of thousands of people being killed on the other side. Why? In order to maintain control over the Middle Eastern oil fields on behalf of seven major oil corporations who in turn pay for the campaign contributions uh, for the people on the committees. You know, so this is a structure that we have to come to grips with here in the context of this particular statute, which the overwhelming majority of people in our country want to have passed. The overwhelming majority of senators in both political parties and the overwhelming majority of the members of the House of Representatives in both political parties want passed. This is a this is a moment, a test, a constitutional test of the of the ability of our citizenry to respond uh, to the threats that are being made by the deep state. 
to keep this secret and to try to use this technology to make a new entire generation of weapons uh, that are going to continue to destabilize the entire geopolitical structures of our planet. You know, that's how serious this is. Well, and, you, you know, this question comes up, it, you know, the the illegality of it, because they, you know, they use, let's say, with the UFO, with the legacy programs, they cite old National Security Acts that they're basically grandfathered into uh, because of when the program was began as, you know, one thing and another. They, yeah. Huh? Yeah. Right. Correct. Energy to hide this stuff. Yeah. So what 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 is that, um, you know, the the legal, you know, illegal argument of that? Well, well, what it is, is that because when the original craft were taken into custody, uh, whether that was at, at uh, Roswell or earlier at Aztec or whenever, but the the decision was made that, look, there's some sort of mechanism by means of which these UFO vehicles are are fueled in our, our engine, you know, that enables them to fly at uh, superluminal speeds uh, in order to get here from another star system, right? And that what we determined is that we are going to use that as a, uh, a fuel source for our military equipment. And so what they did is they said uh, that we've got the Atomic Energy Act that has been passed to protect nuclear secrets about how you go about making an atomic bomb or how you go about making a hydrogen bomb, and that they've established a set of deep secrecy uh, over the technology of nuclear weapons technology, saying there's no need for this to be given to members of Congress. They don't need to know how to make a hydrogen bomb uh, in order to exercise their constitutional responsibilities. And so they set up this special statute of the Atomic Energy Act, uh, prohibiting the disclosure of that information even after 25 years, which is the normal time when any classified information it expires, you know, and it can be made public or it can be made available to Congress. Yeah, but the, the bottom line is they have this one act. And so what they've done is they've sequestered the information about the UFOs uh, and the extraterrestrial civilization under the cover of the Atomic Energy Act uh, so that it's permanently excluded from being revealed to Congress. And this statute specifically addresses that. This statute specifically says that they're setting aside out of the Atomic Energy Act any of the information that relates to UFOs uh, and to this non-human intelligence of this extraterrestrial civilization. Uh, and they exempt it from the Atomic Energy Act. Uh, and so that this is making the national security state people's hair on fire, you know, where they're going, wait a second, we spent all this time developing this super secret trove of information and hiding it uh, through an abuse of the privilege that was granted to us to keep the nuclear secrets secret, you know, and they're abusing that. In the same way, you know, they get authority to wiretap people's telephones to protect the national security of the United States. And we find out that they're using it to wiretap everybody's phones, you know, and, and they're taking all the information that everybody's phone calls are being monitored. And this isn't paranoia. This is all now established that, that they've been abusing the privileges that have been given to them in the same way that if they, they were given the CIA under the 5412 provision uh, in the National Security Act of 1947 uh, of being authorized to undertake other activities over and above just briefing the president on intelligence information, they have abused that authority 
to not only engage in covert operations to overthrow democratically elected governments around the world, they've taken under themselves the authority to assassinate people uh, and to murder uh, heads of foreign states, you know, uh, all on behalf of the interests of private corporations, military corporations, oil corporations, you know, tech, high tech corporations, et cetera. And so the, the time has come when we have to confront these people when they're going to be exercising that illegal and unconstitutional power to try to deprive our human family of the probably the most important single piece of information that our family can possibly have in order to transcend these kind of nationalistic, tribal uh, kind of fights that are going on on our planet right now, dividing everybody into good guys and bad guys, you know, that we've, we've got to put a stop to this. And this provides the opportunity, as, as uh, Christopher Mellon has pointed out in a major article that he released uh, through the, the debrief, you know, he pointed out he is the, uh, he was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for, uh, or Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence under both President uh, uh, Clinton and under pr President W. Bush. And he has come forward saying, look at the revelation of this information to our people is probably the most important single thing that we can do to bring our people together, uh, to stop this kind of internecine warfare going on between the political parties, between different worldviews, between different nation states. You know, we have to try to transcend this. You know, we're sitting here on the brink of everybody saying, you know, taking bets on what the probabilities are that we're going to have a thermonuclear war with China within the next 10 years. You know, I mean, how this is absurd. You know, this this provides an opportunity, as Chris Mellon has pointed out, to actually bring our our entire human family together to try to establish a positive and constructive, uh, productive relationship with the in this particular case, an extraterrestrial civilization that may have access to technology and other information that is of extraordinary value for our human family, that we can leap ahead, you know, a, a whole generation of technology. Uh, if we can get assistance uh, from getting access to this information, and um, you know, I I'm I'm really curious as to what what happens if this language doesn't pass. What happens if the Schumer language doesn't pass, or it gets butchered, or what people are saying maybe neutered? Well, the the well, the the worst thing that could happen is to have the the eminent domain power taken away out of the statute which gives the our American government the authority to assert reassert its ownership of the technology that's been recovered through US military forces you know and intelligence community forces that have that have recovered the spacecraft you know the the UFOs uh, and have put it over into the hands of these private aerospace industries to try to back engineer the technology the the corporations and their lawyers are asserting that well therefore they possess it and they own it uh, and they have all the intellectual property rights to be able to make private profits uh, out of this for them for them and their stockholders, you know, and for their bonuses that they want to get, you know, and the, the, the eminent domain provisions in this statute now is, issue an order retrieving all of the, the custody of that equipment and that technology into the hands of our United States government on behalf of our citizenry. OK, and it gives us an opportunity to make this available for the whole world you know, uh, on a peaceful basis. Uh, and one of the next steps we need to undertake, of course, is to have a treaty that prohibits any government from using any of this technology for a weapons program. 
Uh, and when you can imagine that how opposed to that uh, these private aerospace industries are, because that's where they make their billions and billions of dollars on weapons contracts. So what, what we're doing is we're saying that we, ha we have to we have to uh, uh, stop this right now. And therefore, we cannot allow the eminent domain language to be removed from this statute. And we can't allow the subpoena power to right. be taken away from this group that has been being provided for in this statute. Because that all, therefore, all the aerospace industries and the CIA and the, the DEA and uh, the DIA and the others, all they'd have to do is just hump up and refuse to give us the information refuse to turn it over to Congress. And then they, the Congress would have no way of being able to get it. You know, they have no subpoena power. They have no right of eminent domain. Uh, and they would become a complete paper tiger. You know, and this board would therefore be ignored. Uh, the information would not be conveyed to them. They wouldn't have access to the information to make it available to the public. Uh, and they wouldn't have the information made available to the Congress because they would just get stiffed. You know, just like you see the the witnesses and stuff in, in the the uh, for example, in the, the, the trials of of uh, Donald Trump, you know, that all his lawyers and everybody else just stiffed Congress. They said, we're not going to go. To, we're not going to come testify, you know, make us, you know, and then they had to go to the courts and try to get the courts to support it. And and they've they've been in defiance of this. And they've demonstrated the national security state people have demonstrated their willingness to defy Congress. For example, with regard to the off-the-shelf enterprise, Oliver North came right in front of the Congress and said, sure, I lied to you. Definitely, we lie to you all the time. You know, these are covert operations. You know, we can't tell the Congress. If we tell the Congress, then the people are going to find out, and then we can't have a covert operation. You know, I mean, the, the rationale of these people, you know, when we were doing the deposition of, of uh, Oliver North, Oliver North actually said, well, you know, the Congress may control the purse strings. But if we in the covert operations departments of the agency and stuff can get funding somewhere else, then we can have any kind of foreign policy we want. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to be subject to the, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. We don't have to be subject to the State Department. Uh, we can undertake our own private uh, foreign policy. Uh, and therefore, they were smuggling drugs uh, into the country and using the money to, to fund a completely separate program and a separate foreign policy. That's intolerable. Uh, and so we cannot have, we, we need to have the subpoena power uh, to extract this information from uh, these intelligence agencies and defense department agencies. And we need to have the power uh, to subpoena the private aerospace industry people to get the information out of them if they refuse to do it voluntarily. Uh, and we need to have the power of eminent domain to take back into the custody of our people the technology uh, that they have. So if, if that if those elements are taken out of this particular statute and then they, they go forward and try to appoint, we try to appoint people to the to this board, nobody of any special prominence or authority or abilities are going to want to serve on that board. That's going to that's what the first thing that's going to happen. Nobody's going to want to be on it. Is it why should I be on it if we don't have any authority to do anything? You know, yeah. it's, it's just a waste of my time. You know, uh, and and therefore they're they're not going to get the information, and it makes this not only useless, it makes it worse than useless because it gives the false impression to the American people that there is some genuine process going on of attempting to get our Congress briefed in on the UFO information. Like Whereas Arrow, it's not true. huh? I said like Arrow. Yeah, no, right. Well, that 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 was part of the problem. You know, they didn't and they didn't have, 
they didn't have the ability to forcibly extract this information from anybody. They just sat there in their office waiting for somebody to come through the door. And, you know, yeah. So do you think if, if, if this doesn't pass, um, number, uh, we, we risk, uh, catastrophic disclosure say if if people want to start if people decide they've had enough we've already decided that we've had enough you know the fact the fact of the matter is we are in the the ufo community and the allies that we have that are inside the military and intelligence community in in the congressional people who have already resolved that we are dedicated to getting this information publicly revealed are going to continue coming forward there's not any doubt about that. Now we will we will attempt to put on our own voluntary vetting criteria and everything else, but it's it's not going to be under the control of the United States Congress, you know, and it's not going to be under the control of of any kind of a statutory scheme where where there's there's confidence in in the validity of what the decisions are that are being made. So so we're we're going to do this. You know, this is the same argument we had in the Pentagon Papers case. And I was one of the attorneys that represented the New York Times in the Pentagon Papers case. When we when we got the papers, the 47 volumes, you know, that, well, the New York Times got it. I was the one that uh, was called uh, by uh, by Jim Goodell, the chief counsel for the New York Times, called me on the telephone and set up the meeting to come to our office and told us that they have the 47 volumes, you know, that. The, the United States Justice Department under the Nixon administration took the position that nothing in any of the 47 volumes could be publicly revealed because it would be catastrophic. Uh, it would irrevocably damage the national security of the United States. So uh, we ignored them. Uh, and we're going through the papers ourselves to try to figure out what we would put into the paper. And then uh, they, uh, the Nixon administration, uh, through the U.S. Office of the U.S. Attorney, uh, brought an action in the federal court to enjoin the New York Times from being able to publish any of this. And so we went into chambers with Judge Murray Gerfine in New York back in 1971 in, in uh, June. We went into chambers and Whitney North Seymour, the United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, said, oh, nothing in these, uh, these 47 volumes can possibly be published because it's catastrophic. Uh, it would be irreparable damage to the national security of the United States. So I said to him, like what? And he said, oh, I'm sorry, we can't tell you. We can't tell you what, what's going to be catastrophic about this because uh, you don't have any security clearances. And so then the judge, Judge Griffith, said, well, how about us? You know, you come to the court demanding an injunction against the New York Times from being able to publish this. You know, what is it that you're saying would be so catastrophic? And, and Whitney Nurse Seymour said, we can't tell you either, Your Honor. We can't tell the courts what it is uh, because it's national security. Uh, and so the fact is they lost everything. You know, they lost the ability to exclude anything from our publication. And so we went forward and exercised our own judgment uh, inside the Cahill Gordon law firm, uh, where I was uh, one of the attorneys. Uh, and and uh, in conjunction with the, the people from The New York Times, we decided what it was that was going to be published. Uh, and we published uh, the information. Uh, and what some people don't know is there's some information that we, in fact, did not publish. In the Pentagon Papers, you know, yeah. uh, now that information we kept on coming, uh, those of us who were involved and got this information put forward later to the uh, to church committee, to the to the Senate Select Committee and House Select Committee on Intelligence, you know, that uh, the the uh, intelligence abuse 
hearings that went on, and it revealed the fact that they were engaged in political assassinations. Uh, it revealed the fact that they were involved in massive heroin smuggling and using money from that to fund their covert operations. So we we got the information out, uh, even though it wasn't published by the New York Times. Uh, so that that's going to continue to happen. We're going we're going to get this information. We're we're going to get it made public, and we're going to exercise our own best judgment as to what information is going to be released and when, unless unless the national security state people are willing to make a compromise and accept this statute. If they can accept this statute, there's going to be a controlled disclosure process where the Congress is going to get to vet this and analyze this in conjunction with recommendations from the national security state people. They can make whatever arguments they want to make, you know, in confidence uh, with the members of this of this panel uh, and, and make their best arguments. Uh, and then a decision will be made by our government structures, by our congressionally appointed panel. Uh, and the president of the United States will ultimately have the authority to decide what is, in fact, going to be released when. Now, this is a perfectly sound and responsible constitutional piece of legislation. Uh, and either they're willing to accept this or what's going to happen is what they view as catastrophic. Uh, revelation of this information, which means that they're going to lose power, primarily. You know, when the when the Pentagon Papers was were published, what happened that was viewed as catastrophic by the national security state was that they had to withdraw U.S. military forces from Vietnam. Yeah, and because it was so, perfectly obvious that it was all lies that yeah, were, if, they based the whole invasion on. You know, and if, that'll if, happen again here if they yeah. if they don't do this. Well, I was going to say, if this language doesn't go through and um, they basically throw amnesty out the window, what, what's going to happen when the information is revealed? Well, I'm going to do my best to prosecute them. <laughs> it's, and that's that's no that's no small threat, I might add, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to put together a major federal criminal racketeering act set of criminal charges against these people for what they've been doing over the decades. You know, these these people are part of a criminal racketeering operation that is going on to try to generate massive private profits for the advantage of a, of a small number of select aerospace industries, uh, uh, corporations, uh, and they're paying kickbacks to the people that uh, they're hiring uh, out of the government to come and participate in that process with them, you know, uh, in violation of the Constitution, in violation of federal laws that are listed in the Federal Criminal Racketeering Act as predicate crimes. You know, the, the threatening of people, the witness threatening, intimidation, the, the, the information that comes from showing that they've actually killed people to silence them about this. We're working on uh, whether that information is going to be uh, revealed or not. You know, and, and, uh, and uh, Colonel Grush has made reference to the threats that have been made of that, that nature that uh, that he has shared with the Senate Intelligence Committee people, you know, that uh, that uh, that we have the uh, availability of the Federal Criminal Racketeering Act uh, to be able to bring charges against them and not have to leave it up to the Justice Department to decide whether they're going to prosecute. We can prosecute civilly as citizens. That's what we showed in the Iran-Contra case, that we were able to do that. That's what forced the congressional hearings in Iran-Contra. That's what, what forced the appointment of a special prosecutor. That's what resulted in the, the return of criminal indictments against uh, some of the highest uh, members of the Nixon-Reagan 
Reagan Bush administration, you know, and that'll happen again if they don't pass this statute. You know, we're we're trying to give them fair warning on this. And do you, do you think more whistleblowers will be coming forward providing the public information? Yes, absolutely. You know, and it's going to be done in conjunction with the people inside the Senate and in the House who are supportive of this information coming forward. Uh, and they're going to have the authority to hold public hearings in the same way that the House Oversight uh, Committee did. Uh, their their National Security uh, Subcommittee held the public hearings that that uh, Colonel Grush uh, testified in and in the uh, flavor and in uh, and, and, uh, and Brian Gary, Graves yeah. and Greg testified, you know, the, the, the bottom line is, is that that's going to continue going on. Now, it's a helter skelter kind of process, uh, and it's not as advisable as the kind of process that's provided for in a comprehensive way here in this statute. Uh, but if they if they force us to have to do this in a helter skelter kind of manner, uh, that is what's going to happen. You know, and we'd prefer to have it done pursuant to a constitutional structure that we provided in this bill. And uh, I mean, what's what's um, a question I have, too, is, you know, that these gatekeepers, you know, whoever they are, I mean, I guess people have ideas and maybe people in Congress and Senate have names and, and all that. But aren't aren't they concerned at all that uh, that uh adversarial country is going to to release the information first yeah given given the prism through which they perceive everything you know i mean uh, they they probably are worried about it you know they they realize that china china has recovered uh, uh one or more of these uh, of the ufo saucers uh the uh that uh, russia has you know i i spoke directly with uh, gorbachev about this uh, and uh, Gorbachev provided information to us about this. You know, we were uh, out of Jesuit headquarters uh, and Jim Garrison, who is uh, James Garrison. Dr. Garrison is our Washington, D.C. office director, you know, has had direct conversations with Gorbachev. You know, uh, we were intimately involved in assisting in Gorbachev stepping down uh, back in 1991, you know, from the Cold War. Uh, because it was it was so dangerous and there was such a chance of mistakes being made that he agreed to step back. And he the, talked about retrieved uh, UFOs. No, he uh, he talked he talked to me about various sightings of UFOs. And that when I began to talk to the people to whom he put me in contact, uh, we realized that they had recovered some of these craft. Yeah. And they had these craft. You know, and so that they if the United States has historically been the one that has constantly initiated these threats, they're the ones we're the ones that developed the atomic bomb first. We're the ones that dropped the atomic bomb first. We threatened to use the atomic bomb against other countries. Uh, and so therefore they responded by having to develop their own nuclear nuclear weapons programs. The same thing keeps happening over and over again because the deep state here in the United States is dedicated to trying to establish full spectrum military dominance over the planet uh, on behalf of being able to maintain our continued privileged access to the strategic raw materials that they believe that our American industry needs to have. And they say so in classified documents, the 1992 United States Defense Department policy planning guidance document that was put forth uh, by the Defense Department, you know, uh, under Dick Cheney, uh, back in 1992, in uh, in April of 1992, in response 
to our success in getting Gorbachev to agree to stand down from the from the Cold War. And rather than reduce the military budget and start trying to have a, a peaceful relationship, you know, this element in that case, you know, guys like like uh, uh, Dick Cheney and Paul Wolfowitz and Scooter Libby uh, and uh, Doug Fife uh, and Richard Pearl, people that were all in this group that's the nickname for them is the Balkans, you know, that these people immediately moved to trying to establish full spectrum dominance over the planet to take advantage of the fact that the Soviet Union had voluntarily stood back from, from this confrontation. Uh, and they've continued to do that. The, so the first thing they did is they mount a, a, a false grounded military invasion of the oil fields uh, in the Middle East in order to deprive China of having access to oil. You know, I mean, the, they are engaged in an affirmative, aggressive, uh, illegal warfare on the planet. You know, and that this is a very dangerous element inside our, our deep state of the United States government. And we have to be able to show them that the American people are not going to tolerate this any longer. This is a, a new a new age. The ability the ability to get access to this uh, technology and to pass a statute uh, and a treaty that prohibits the use of this technology for weapons production uh, is an absolutely essential step to be taken on part of our American people. Uh, and we've got to demonstrate to the world that we're willing to make this technology available under a treaty that prohibits the use of this technology for the development of weapons so that it can be made available to the whole world for alternative sources of clean energy, for alternative communication systems. There's all kinds of technology that are involved here uh, and that we cannot allow it to be put into the exclusive hands of a monopoly power uh, such as developed around the petroleum industry. There are seven major oil corporations on the planet that now have monopolized the complete uh, energy source for our planet. And what have they done? They've used it to contaminate our entire planet to the point where it's destroying the climate system of our planet. And they won't stop because they're pursuing their own private profits. This is not a good system uh, to have functioning. And we need to take the advantage of this particular opportunity to get this bill passed to not only uh, make way for the treaty to prohibit the use of this technology for weapons production, but we also have to make it available to people in the whole world so that we can get the advantages for everybody on our planet of this technology, not is, just for the financial advantage of a few major aerospace corporations. Is that in discussions for the control disclosure plan, actual dissemination of technology potentially? That, that is, is one of the things that the board will have to decide. You know, if we, if we have a constitutionally established uh, board to review this information and to decide what the policies are that should be undertaken, they're the ones that are going to be in a position to be able to advise the president uh, as to what might be done. What are the alternative ways we might go about uh, making this information available, uh, making the technology available? How are we going to develop it in a peaceful way that is productive for everyone? How can it be utilized to to maintain and establish a a safe and productive geopolitical set of structures on our planet. Now, th this is overwhelmingly important here uh, if we can succeed in, in doing this. And, you know, the what, what do you think, uh, you know, drove Schumer to, to create such strong language, as strong and direct language? It mentions non-human intelligence over 20 times. 
yeah. uh, biologics, you know, biological material. Uh, you know, what, what do you think made a Senate majority leader draft language like this? Because he's been briefed in on what some of this information is. And, and he knows how extraordinarily important this is, you know, and it's time to start notifying the people. This bill, in a certain way, is is part of the disclosure process. The content of this bill actually being formally introduced into the United States Senate and into the United States House of Representatives is a form of disclosure. Uh, and it's it's bolstering, it's providing congressional bolstering of the testimony of, Dave, of Colonel Grush uh, and others to show that we're in possession of these UFO craft uh, and that there's a, a program attempting to back engineer them for a weapons program. And we're in possession of biological evidence showing that there's a non-human species that is piloting these UFOs. Uh, all of this has been revealed in this statute and just presenting it on the floor. Uh, and the, there's a lot more to come uh, if we can succeed in setting up a constitutional framework for getting this information conveyed to Congress and then to our people. And and speaking of uh, David Grush or David Grush, um, you know, he he had mentioned in in uh, an interview that he did that uh, the Vatican had knowledge of this. What are your What are your thoughts on on the Vatican's involvement in this? <laughs> well, as as former chief counsel of the United States Jesuit Order in their social ministry office for over a decade, uh, what I can tell you is I've had direct conversations with the head of the Vatican Archives, uh, Johann X, uh, and have discussed this issue with them. Uh, I can go that far. Yeah, because I, I mean, I think you had an incident decades ago where you went in and there was some. Uh, I don't know if we know. I think there was something else, but there was. Had no, to no do... I was. I was given. I was given access to the uh, classified portions of Project Blue Book. Right, right, right. So the actual the sightings and stuff that they couldn't explain. Uh, but they couldn't explain them to the public because it was clear that they were UFOs, uh, and that they were actual concrete vehicles and that they were being piloted by a, a non-human intelligence a species, uh, and that they knew this. And that when I saw the, the photos of the actual crash retrieval uh, undertakings uh, in there, I brought this information to the United States Jesuit headquarters. We presented it to the all 54 of the major religious denominations uh, at the National Council of Churches uh, and proposed that we set up a task force uh, of all 54 of the major religious denominations to come to address this issue from a theological point of view. Uh, and they declined to do it. It was still too hot a, a topic at that time. There wasn't enough uh, consensus on the part of our constitutional structures to support that, and they didn't want to do that. Uh, but we're in process of trying to repeat that process now. We're through the New Paradigm Institute. Uh, we're in the process of trying to organize the world religious leaders to come together to hold a major uh, global summit conference uh, on the fact that we've now recovered uh, an extraterrestrial spacecraft. And uh, we now know that our United States government is not only in possession of biological evidence of, uh, of uh, the non-human species, but that they've actually taken into custody a live extraterrestrial person and, uh, and that they're keeping this secret. Uh, you know, and they're they're interrogating the 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 person, the being, and and trying to get information from them. Uh, and but they're keeping it all secret because they want to just use it, and and they're going to edit it and and distort it 
and, and try to use it as some kind of evidence that uh, there's a, a threat of some kind that will justify their massive expenditure of literally trillions of dollars trying to develop an entire new generation of weapons. Uh, and that this has to be stopped. And that's this is the means by which we can do that. And have you heard more about that um, when they they had an actual live entity in in custody? Yes. Uh, what what exactly occurred? I I interviewed one of the people that were involved in this, uh, and uh, and have been able to establish the credibility of the information, uh, and that what they were doing is they were telepathically uh, interviewing this Ibo, the, the extra bio, extraterrestrial biological entity. <laughs> uh, that's how they refer to him. Uh, and they were uh, interrogating him telepathically, actually. I mean, this, this sounds a little bizarre, so I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead of all this and, and have this be the headline, everybody going crazy about right, this. I, yeah. Yeah, but but, but the, the bottom line is, is that he was uh, telling them that uh, that there is a uh, a coalition of uh, different star systems in our galaxy that are uh, engaged in a process of monitoring the evolution of life on different planets uh, in our galaxy, uh, and that there there are representatives in this operation from different star systems that are cooperating on this. They're monitoring the development uh, of life that our planet Earth is not absolutely unique, but it's one of the rare planets that actually gestates life. Our planet gestates life, uh, which uh, functionally evolves teleologically into sentient conscious life like our human species. Uh, and that uh, this is going on in different places inside our galaxy. When, when uh, the uh, Vatican, and I've been sharing this information uh, when we were at Jesuit headquarters, and that the, the uh, Pope uh, Benedict actually uh, had a, a formal statement issued by the Catholic Church uh, on November 10th uh, of, 19, or, or 2000, uh, uh, and I'm trying to remember when it was, November 10th, I think of 2009, actually, saying that uh, in light of the discovery of more and more right. of these new exoplanets, uh, it has now become clear that much sooner than had been previously anticipated, uh, we are going to be discovering uh, life elsewhere in the universe. Uh, and therefore, the time has arrived for our human family to begin an extraordinarily important discussion of the profound philosophical and theological questions that are posed to our human family by the discovery of life elsewhere in the universe. Now, this was issued by, uh, by uh, uh, Father Jose Gabriel Funes, who was the director of the Pontifical Observatory uh, in Rome uh, from the Vatican press room, uh, authorized by Pope Benedict. Now, in my previous capacity as general counsel at the Jesuit headquarters for their social ministry office, I reached out and contacted Father uh, Jose Gabriel Funes, flew to see him, you know, within a, a few days, uh, and we had a conversation. And he told me, he said, look, Dan, uh, you know, when, when we're talking about life elsewhere in the universe, we're not talking about the discovery of some single cell life form under some frozen lake on some distant moon in some far off galaxy. You know, we're talking about another highly intelligent, highly technologically developed, 
but distinctly non-human species right here in our Milky Way galaxy. Uh, and that therefore we need to start coming to grips with this, you know? And so that's, that's what we're doing at the New Paradigm Institute is we're not only trying to work hard to get this particular statute drafted and passed, but we're also involved in attempting to try to undertake our own independent uh, set of discussions among the citizenry to try to understand what we believe to be the geopolitical import of this information, what the uh, social psychological import of this is, what the philosophical import of this information is, that we are not only no longer uh, misleading ourselves into believing that we are in the actual physical center of the entire universe. We sort of got past that with Copernicus and Galileo. Uh, but the fact is that they replaced it with a, 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 a cosmic model that placed us at the apex of the pyramid of all sentient life in the entire universe. You know, and that now has been is being shown to be untrue. And so we have to have a positive structural narrative to understand our, the, the actual accurate place of our human family in the cosmic order. Uh, and we need to get about this task right away. We can't have it just thrust upon us, you know, and that's partly why the extraterrestrial species does not come and land on the White House lawn, you know, because the fact is we haven't done that work yet. We have to have this conversation. We have to develop <clears throat> this uh, alt comprehensive alternative understanding of the uh, legitimate place of our human family in the galactic order. Uh, so that we do not, in fact, have our entire culture collapse in the face of this information. And, <laughs> That's and, what happens to primitive tribes that are discover suddenly that there's an outside world outside their tribal territory. Right. And, and, and speaking within that context as well, you know, David Grush has has mentioned uh, potentially uh, deals or accords with uh, some non-human intelligence groups. Have you have you heard anything in regards to that? I've heard things in regard to that. Uh, that I'm in. I'm in the process through our new paradigm institute of investigating these these assertions, trying to find out what they are, uh, and to make this information available to our people as part of this conversation that we have to have. <clears throat> and I'd like to have it done in the context of the passage of this UAP disclosure process, so that we can participate in that. But uh, if the national security state people try to stop this, <clears throat> we're going to be able to continue going forward and have this conversation and have to come up with our own answers to these questions. Yeah. And of, of the uh, the 40, 40 potential whistleblowers that have um, either direct or secondhand knowledge of these kind of things, uh, you know, what are what are some like key revelations <clears throat> That have been discussed. Well, I don't. I do not want to uh, get into getting out ahead of the process that we're going to put in place if this statute is rejected. You know, we we have to have discussions about what the process is by means of which this information is going to come forward. We're going to continue to conduct ourselves as though this statute were passed. <laughs> we aren't going to have the nine-person board that's presidentially <laughs> appointed and authorized. But we're still going to do the same things. We want to figure out a process by means of which the information can be brought forward by the whistleblowers. You know, what kind of cooperation are we going to be getting from different committees inside the Senate and inside the House of Representatives? You know, what kind of cooperation are we going to be getting from the New York Times and 60 Minutes and 
other major news outlets like News Nation and others. And, you know, what what is the protocol that we are going to formulate uh, to implement something similar to this uh, if we can't get the national security state to stand down uh, and trying to stop us from having a constitutional structure put in place? <clears throat> And so, for, for the language that is there, what what do you what would you consider key parts of this language that that actually makes it beneficial for everybody, even you know so called gatekeepers? Well, the, the 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 advantage that the gatekeepers have is that this is a controlled disclosure process. <laughs> this is not what they perceive to be a catastrophic uh, dumping of the all the information at one time onto the onto the world. That's the thing they fear, you know. Now, they undoubtedly are trying to maintain uh, certain power structures uh, that obtain on the planet at the present time. They view that as part of their mission uh, to maintain the economic structures they've got set up, the banking structures, the political structures, the political parties, you know, the ruling elite, you know, like one the one percent of the people on the planet that end up making most all of the major important decisions. The national security state group exists in order to protect that structure. And they are they view almost any kind of alteration in that structure as being potentially catastrophic. You know, they view themselves as having been deployed uh, to protect those people <clears throat> and their power. Uh, we don't agree with that. <clears throat> Outside the national security state infrastructure, we believe that there ought to be a more democratic, uh, and socially democratic process by means of which the value of the technology that is available through this contact with an extraterrestrial civilization is made more equitably available for the planet uh, and not put toward weaponry to establish the preeminence and dominance of one particular nation state. We believe that this ought to be made available uh, to the people of the world in a peaceful and productive manner uh, so that it, it may in fact alter and modify the present power structures on the planet uh, in a way that the national security state might view to be catastrophic. Uh, but in fact, I don't view it's going to be any more catastrophic than the revelation of the information in the Pentagon Papers, you know, uh, or any more catastrophic than the revelation of the information we did in the Karen Silkwood case that showed that the uh, Kermagee Nuclear uh, Corporation was smuggling 98% pure bomb-grade plutonium to Israel and to Iran to make nuclear weapons. <laughs> you know, they always view that stuff as being potentially totally catastrophic, uh, but it's not. Uh, but it does alter the power structure. <clears throat> and so that, that's really what's at issue here. And so we believe that if any modification is going to be made in the present power structure needs to be done in a comprehensive, uh, controlled and uh, manner uh, so that the destabilization that occurs is minimal uh, and is progressive so that we end up having a, a, an in-place narrative of understanding our place in the universe, understanding what the more equitable distribution of resources on our planet would be, and what might be the more equitable and peaceful and productive means by which the technology that is available through the extraterrestrial civilization can be integrated into our human family. Those are all perfectly solid and rational things to do, uh, and we we intend to do that, uh, and so that this this statute is the best means by which to do that. Uh, but as they say, if they they try to block this, and they threaten people in our House and Senate 
uh, with destroying their political careers, if they defy the deep state, uh, then we are going to have to come to their aid. Uh, that's what we need to do. We need to come to the aid of the members in the Senate and in the House to protect them. Uh, we need to come to the aid of the whistleblowers and we need to protect them. And we need to put together a constitutional structure by means of which this information can be made available to the world. Uh, and we want to have our United States Congress involved in deciding that process. And in a, in a, con a controlled disclosure, I mean, this, this is probably something that has to be reviewed by that, the panel that you were discussing. But who, who would make such announcements in, in regard to these revelations of a controlled disclosure? The, the the president of the United States would do this, you know, under the under the structure that is being proposed here. Uh, the panel would make the initial decisions uh, and they would uh, would designate the information that is being made public uh, and the means by which it's to be made public. And then they would present that proposal to the president. And then the president, he or she would make a decision, you know, as to uh, what uh, what they thought uh, in their advisors thought ought to be the process. <clears throat> they may decide to reveal more information more rapidly. They may decide to reveal less information less rapidly. But that's that's what the constitutional structure of our of our government is for. Uh, it's these elected representatives that are authorized to be become more and more expert uh, and more and more uh, capable of making these kind of responsible decisions. And that's what we're trying to get put in place here. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose this, again, would be something that uh, the panel would have to to think about, review and, right. and, and devise is that, you know, in regards to these revelations, um, you know, about non-human intelligence and that they've been interacting with us. Does do you think that opens like is it already in conversations that there will be an attempt to make some kind of a, a initial contact uh, or interaction with the non-human intelligences that are visiting well that's that's going that's going to be that's going to be uh one of the issues that the panel has to discuss you know that that the reason for having a panel like this and having the kind of people appointed to the panel uh that are capable of making decisions like that uh the most expert people that we can can identify to have on the panel. You know, for example, that's why I've recommended Professor Lawrence Tribe, for example, uh, in my capacity as uh, one of the groups that is authorized to nominate these people, because he's completely familiar with the constitutional structures of our government. He's been involved in uh, helping to uh, to respond to the uh, other countries uh, that are they're establishing constitutional frameworks to to govern themselves. You know, uh, and uh, so he's had that experience. We've got other people that I've I've recommended for this. You know, for for uh, example, uh, Leon Panetta, uh, who is uh, is was not only a congressman uh, from California for a long time, but he became the chief of staff for the Clinton administration. He became a secretary of defense. He became the head of the Central Intelligence Agency. You know, he's a perfectly capable person, uh, and he's trusted by people throughout the political spectrum. Uh, and so so therefore I've recommended that he be on this. I've, I've recommended uh, that uh, that uh, John Podesta uh, be on this. Uh, he's indicated an interest in the issue. He's tried to get the Clinton administration uh, to come forward with this. He's familiar with the internal workings of our governmental structures. So he's a sound and responsible person. Uh, you know, I've recommended uh, uh, General Richardson 
uh, the the Laura Richardson. She's the four-star military general, the highest ranking woman in the military. Uh, you know, to I think it's appropriate to have a person on the nine-person panel that is taking the perspective of the military concerns uh, about this. You know, that, uh, you know, uh, I've recommended uh, other people. I've recommended uh, scientists, uh, physicists, uh, biologists, you know, that uh, that would know how to do this. I'm in the process of trying to figure out who to recommend as the theological voice uh, and the philosopher uh, on this panel. I mean, this this is an extraordinary undertaking that we're, we're actually talking about here. You know, right. th- this this is putting together a a human panel. Now, the the, the statute requires all of them to be uh, uh, basically requires them to be American citizens. Uh, because this is viewed to be American information that is possessed by our American government. And so therefore, uh, the, the provisions, they want them all to be Americans. Uh, they want them all to be able to pass security clearances so that they know how to handle security information in a responsible way. Uh, so there, there are criteria that are set forth in the statute. Uh, but the, the whole thing is going to be moot uh, if the national security state succeeds in getting you know, uh, Mike Turner you know, from the, you know, Wright Patterson Air Force Base, basically, to be able to stop this bill, uh, or that they're, they're going to get, uh, you know, Mike Rogers, you know, from the, you know, uh, uh, Redstone rocket uh, missile range to to be able to stop this, uh, this statute from going through. If they do that, you know, uh, from their point of view, they are going to suffer the consequences. And I don't want that to have to happen. You know, I, I want this to be done with everybody on board, <clears throat> okay? And not not any one of the different worldviews of the octave of worldviews is going to be completely delighted with this statute. Some people think that it that it reveals the information too slowly. Uh, they think that the people that might be appointed to the committee are more conservative than they might want. Other people might consider that some of them to be too liberal. <clears throat> you know, but that's that's how a democracy works. Uh, and what we want to do is demonstrate that our human family is capable of responsibly dealing with this information, which is in part part of what we have to be able to demonstrate to the extraterrestrial civilization in order to get them to trust us, to get them to actually be able to participate in an open way with us uh, as a diplomatic uh, ally uh, of some sort uh, for for the development of our culture on our planet. So th- th- this is. I mean, this sounds like science fiction. I, I know uh, people all think that this is like some kind of a science fiction movie is taking place right in front of us. Uh, but the reality is, is that the science fiction movies have been written about this over the past decades because of the reality that we're dealing with here. That's why so many science fiction movies are being written about this is because the people have a really clear, good idea that something like this is going on. And so what we want to do is make sure that the people get accurate information and that we get it as soon as we can practically absorb it uh, and and put it to practical use. Yeah. And so, you know, what are what are ways that people can support the this language getting through? Very, very simple. They, they can go to the new paradigm institute dot org. Uh, they can see who their United States senators are if they don't know. Uh, they can see who their congressional representative is uh, if they don't know, and a lot of people don't know. Uh, and they can also see who the members are of the uh, conference committee that is put together. Certain select members of the Senate and the House are together co- conferring right now 
on whether or not this bill is going to get put into the National Defense Authorization Act? And if so, what kind of language is going to be in it? Uh, is there going to be any modification uh, or supplementing of the language pertaining to eminent domain? That's what's going on right today. The discussions are, you know, if they need to put in more information about eminent domain to assure the aerospace industry that they're going to get to be able to have some intellectual property rights uh, to some of the technology uh, or some of the developments in technology that they've developed uh, over the years. Uh, that's what's going on right now. The, the negotiations that are going on right today are over the language uh, pertaining to the eminent domain provisions uh, of this particular statute. Uh, they're, they're trying to uh, assure the, the aerospace industry uh, that, uh, that they're going to get something out of this, you know, which is bizarre. I mean, they're, they're basically extorting. <laughs> Look, at, you, give, you give us money give us an assurance that we're going to have access to, to this. I can't, I'm getting the sun hitting me, <laughs> but uh, uh, that uh, here we go. That, that uh, uh, if, if you, if you uh, will give us uh, some, the, the term that they use, they've actually used it in meetings. I've had you know, wet our beak. If you will wet our beak a bit more on this, we may be willing to uh, relent. In they said the that. Yes, yes, that's that's the term they use. Uh, can you wet our beak uh, some? Uh, which means they want to have intellectual property rights to some of the technological uh, proposals they're making, uh, and they want to have a patent right to that and be able to to possess monopoly control over that technology for as long as possible, so they can make as much money as possible. Because they say, look, at our obligations to our stockholders. Uh, and therefore, we are going to exercise our power to the extent to which we have it. And they have a lot of it uh, because they give financial aid to the Congress people, you know, uh, and that uh, that uh, we're they're going to assert their power to try to stop this legislation unless we can wet their beak adequately. It's, I mean, you know, it's, it's 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 kind of crazy that the, these conversations are even going on. Right. Oh, I mean, they're they're basically admitting to. Oh, yes. Having it. They're, they're quite uh, straightforward about it. And, and you talk with the military officials, for example, they will say straight out that we have to keep this technology to ourselves and keep a secret so that we can, in fact, when specifically an example, you know, they said this to me, that if, in fact, the United States finds a third world country that has uh, uh, in that country certain uh, important resources, uh, uh, rare minerals, for example, that might be, need to be used in solar panels or, you know, uh, oil or uh, uh, magnesium. You know, if they have a, a, a access to this rare uh, commodity and there's some other country that is on a more or less equal par with us, like Russia or China, and they're likely to go in and take it. And so we should go take it first. <laughs> and, yeah. and if we have to use military power to go in and take it, we should do that. And they view that as part of their mission, you know. And the problem is, is that our our elected representatives over the past decades have actually tasked them with that mission. Uh, and so that it's not surprising that they they are are bold in in private conversations, at least, and making it very clear what they view their interests to be and their their purposes. In the private corporations, you know, that they, they sit with me, they say, look. And, you know, you're, you're a graduate of Harvard College. You know, you, you had uh, Henry Kissinger for your foreign policy. 
you know, you studied under him, you know, you, you studied at Harvard Law School where they they turn out major corporate lawyers. You you were at Cahill Gordon, the, the, the at that time, the number one uh, litigation law firm for corporate law. You you how the world really works. Uh, wet our beak. <laughs> you know, yeah. wet, wet our beak, you know, and, uh, you know, you're you're an adult. You know how to have these kind of negotiations, you know, agree to do this. And that, that, that also implies that they're they are willing to cooperate, even if it's under these kind of circumstances. If, if if we if we can exercise adequate muscle on the part of the citizenry to demand that we get access to this information as quickly as possible and in the most comprehensible way possible, if if we're able to exercise that, they look at us and say, "Okay, okay, we get it, we get it." You know, you you got access to that kind of citizen power, uh, so we're we're acknowledging that. So we're we're willing to negotiate this. You know, that's why the negotiations are going on. This this has got to be one of the most extraordinary negotiations right. in the history of the United States Congress. There's the going world. on, you know, in the world, in the history of the world. I mean, they're actually negotiating the process by means of which our human family is going to be getting access to the knowledge that there's a, a fully evolved, uh, highly technological, uh, non-human civilization that surrounds us in the galaxy and they know, you know it they're, yeah they're like they're like five million they're l- l- the best estimates are there are at least five million you know other highly intelligent highly technologically developed uh but non-human uh species uh in just in our galaxy right you know uh and, and so that this is inevitable that this is going to take place but they've been trying to put it off for as long as possible and they've been comparatively successful but i mean the reality is is that you know, anywhere your statistics are anywhere from 65% to 80% of all the people in the United States are convinced that UFOs are real. And they're convinced that they're extraterrestrial. Yeah. You know, and so the, the, these people, these these people in the national security state sitting there holding on to this uh, and, and lying to us constantly and saying they don't know what we're talking about. And it's all rubbish. You know, it's all tinfoil hat talks. You know, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is they have been leaking out over the past 75 years uh, enough information that they've they've trolled this information into the public long enough so that the people are now aware of this uh and, and the question is have they miscalculated have they given us so much information about this that the people now are so convinced that it's true and there's enough of us that are convinced that it's true that we're demanding the rest of it you know and so they're they're basically at what what they're saying in negotiations is Basically, oops, oops, I think we've given you guys a little too much information already. You guys are powering up now uh, and you're demanding to have uh, more information, which isn't going to be good for you. Uh, and it's not going to be good for us. Why? And so, so and when you say, well, why? Uh, and basically their argument is because it threatens the power structure. And the power structure that's in place, aren't you doing okay? Aren't you doing okay under the power structure? You know, uh, aren't your friends and neighbors doing okay? Uh, aren't we do, just 5% of the human population on the planet? You know, Do they, do they you know, speak at all about like a threat from non-human intelligence itself or just the power structure? Well, they, they do from a certain perspective. They, they say things like, which is understandable. If, in fact, these UFO vehicles can come and go from the surface of our planet at will, uh, they can penetrate our military airspace, they can, they can shut off our nuclear aircraft carriers. They can shut them down completely so that they're completely helpless. Uh, they can't move. They can't communicate, uh, you know, for upwards of an hour. 
you know, when one of these UFOs can come in and, and rise up out of the ocean and put them out of commission, you know, for for up to uh, an hour, you know, and they can fly across the top of our nuclear missile bases and shut down all the nuclear missiles and make them completely useless. Well, that's certainly a threat to the national security of the United States. If you perceive the national security of the United States to be commensurate with our ability to project U.S. military power through the threat of launching nuclear missiles at somebody or, or deploying one of our aircraft carrier groups and threatening to kill you. Yeah. You know? but, but the if thing with that is like they, the non-human intelligence can do that whether we know about them or not. So isn't it better that we're more well-informed? Well, they, they don't think that it's better that we're more well-informed. They think it's better that they're more well-informed. <laughs> they, they, they view themselves as they versus us. You know, yeah. the, the national security state people view the citizens of the United States to be their adversaries. Yeah. And they view people in the United States Congress to be their adversaries. They talk just like that when you talk to them, you know, so that not only is it Russia and China uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, Pakistan, if they have nuclear weapons uh, or, you know, the Hezbollah or Gaza, you know, the private citizens of Gaza, they, they view all these people to be adversaries. Why? because they're in competition with us. Uh, they, they, they want to establish full spectrum military dominance over the planet, and they want to be able to have continued privileged access to the strategic raw materials on the planet to advantage our population. As 5% of the population on the planet, you know, we consume anywhere from 25 to 30% of all the non-renewable resources that are developed on the planet every year. And, and they say their job is to maintain that privilege. Is there an indication that they have actually made breakthroughs with this technology? Uh, it's, it's an interesting question that uh, they, they assert to us that they've made, well, for example, that the silicon chip uh, that they recovered from the Roswell craft. Uh, and, and we have the direct testimony of Colonel Philip Corso, yeah. who was in charge of the program at the Pentagon for developing uh, foreign technology that, that the Pentagon gets its hands on. And he says specifically that we got the silicon chip that has enabled us to have this huge leap forward uh, in computer technology uh, that we're all living with right now. Uh, you know, uh, that they, they also had uh, fiber optics that they recovered from the craft that they've been able to back engineer and be able to use fiber optics now. They've got the night vision equipment uh, that was taken from the, the one of the craft. You know, uh, so they and they the, the one that they can't deal with apparently is the helmet that by means of which the craft is is navigated telepathically. Right. Uh, and apparently their problem is that it requires a certain level of consciousness in order to function. And there seems to be something antithetical to that level of consciousness inside the military, if you'll excuse <laughs> me, <laughs> you know. That, uh, you know, the, the, there's the old Sufi saying, you know, when a pickpocket meets a saint, all he can see are his pockets. You know, yeah. and, uh, and so that they, they've got a, a mission that's been assigned to them. And they train these these people, men and women now, to have a certain mindset that makes them effective in the pursuance of the mission that they've been assigned. Uh, and so it's not that they're not intelligent. It's not that they're not, uh, you know, actually, you know, kind people. Uh, they're they're very intelligent. They're very kind. Uh, they're surprisingly friendly, uh, you know. But they're they're absolutely locked on this idea that uh, they need to utilize this technology for weapons and to establish dominance over the planet. That's their job. 
You know, and so as I said, I don't, I, I'm not opposed to having them at the table. It's essential that they be at the table, you know, and the table we're talking about now is the table of nine. We're talking about a table of nine people sitting at the table to help make these decisions. Uh, and they still have to pass it through the president. They actually are advising the president. So the president will make these ultimate decisions, you know, with his or her cabinet level of people in the State Department and in the Defense Department and in the CIA and others. You know, they'll make the decision ultimately. But there's this the, the table has nine players sitting at it. And what, what I believe is we need to have people who represent the different worldviews. Yeah. Our human family is is attached to. Uh, so that there's a, a buy-in on the part of all of the different worldviews of our human family as they're presently evolved at the table. And what we've discovered in the Native American culture, if you if you put people in a circle and you pass the, the conversation around around the circle, they're going to discern a a solution to a particular problem that not a single one of them ever would have been able to come to by him or herself. You know, there's going to be another decision that can be made in a collective decision-making process like that. That's why we don't want our Supreme Court, for example, to be totally dominated by just one particular worldview. It generates a lot of problems inside our culture that we're experiencing right now. Yeah. Because Donald Trump appointing three of the, of the justices who have this, this uh, Federalist Society fixated worldview uh, and is causing trouble. We don't want that to be uh, on the panel of nine. We want to have a balanced set of worldviews reflected in the panel, okay? But we've got to get the statute passed first. Uh, and if we can get the statute passed so that we know what the constitutional structure is that we're going to be working with here, then we turn our attention to this issue of who's going to be on the panel, okay? And we want to get, what I'm proposing doing is getting as much input from the public interest community and the citizens of our country as possible, you know? Uh, but we don't want to have necessarily just be an election Right. You know, uh, with the with the flawed political system that we may have at the present time, we're trying to figure out what the most appropriate means is by which we're going to select these people and nominate them to the president. And then the president is going to have to make an independent decision that uh, and, and this will be this will be President Biden. You know, if this gets passed now uh, and I, I'm not sure that the National Security State Forces think there's any better prospect of getting a better person you know, in the presidency in 2024 so that they would want to postpone this decision until next year's National De National Defense Authorization Act. You know, they aren't talking about the postponement of this. They're talking about killing it. Yeah. I mean, so we I, have, we have to have it I, don't, I don't think it would be wise for them to try to postpone it either because just given the track record of everything uh, that's been going on the last six years, I think the language would be even more defined. There's going to be more pressure that's going to be applied to them, more information available. And it's, it's I don't think it would be a good idea for them to do that. No, that's right. Uh, I, I don't think so either. But, you know, in the, I'm, I'm not sure to what degree they're willing to take my counsel. But yeah. I've tried to advise them on this. You know, I'm, I'm uh, fortunately in kind of a unique position of being able to speak uh, to some extent on behalf of the public interest community, because I've been working as a public interest lawyer for the last 50 years. We've been fairly successful at it. So that's why Lou Elizondo reached out to me to have me be his attorney. So that yeah. when we went and confronted the Department of Defense about the lying and the dissembling that they're doing, uh, you know, and tried to get them to alter their protocols, that's what started this whole thing. Well, that's what started them working inside the Defense Department to try to propose some kind of new protection for the whistleblowers, 
some kind of new uh, uh, protocol for being able to report these things in a uniform manner. You know, this this process has been going on uh, at a new level since 2017 in December, as you know. Yeah, and and if just if 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 this doesn't go through, I mean, is there a potential still for other language to give whistleblowers more ability to to speak? Oh yes, oh yes. You know that there there we're gonna we're going to take steps to strengthen the protection for these whistleblowers. And we're going to take steps to protect the the members of Congress that uh, that were, are willing to come forward and have hearings, have public hearings about this. Uh, and we're going to make sure that they they have the resources they need. They're going to have the kind of support from the public that they need, uh, and and that we're going to be able to offset any threats that are being made by the aerospace industry and their their national security state uh, minions. <laughs> yeah. Know? trying to threaten people we we have to be able to offset those threats yeah and I, I think if you ask anybody any american in this case do would you like to know the truth of this and you think it's important they're gonna all say yes mm-hmm. i can't think of anybody who would say no to that well the 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 the, the problem is is that and it's, it's a, a systemic problem is that the american people aren't in direct immediate control of the public policies that are actually implemented. You know, the, there's the yeah. buffer of their elected representatives to begin with. And, uh, and the fact of the matter is uh, the even the elected representatives are not the ones that are really being able to make these decisions because they don't have information. Yeah. So the, the, it's this deep state problem. I mean, and it's one of the very few things, perhaps the only thing I agree with Donald Trump about, you know, is the fact that there is this deep state that is functioning. It's not the same deep state he thinks. You know, yeah. he thinks just the, the bureaucratic people inside the government. That's not the major problem here. The problem is that there's a national security state functioning here that wants to establish full spectrum military dominance over the planet. Uh, and they want to keep this technology for their use of making a weapon system. Yeah, and that's, and, that's the problem. Yeah, and they're, they're full play here. They're trying to stop this bill. And then uh, just two more quick questions because I know you have to go. Um, if every say say everything goes through and passes, how how soon do you think that you know the the people and the world will get that that announcement they've all been waiting for all this time about you know non human intelligence, uh, yeah, and UFOs well, crash. Well, there's there's a very specific timetable set up in the statute that. That and I don't. I don't want to bore you all with it. But but the bottom line is, say this gets passed on December twenty first. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the language is, is as it is, and it goes in that uh, we have thirty days to submit our nominees to President Biden. Okay. Uh, and then President Biden has thirty days in which to make his decision as to which of all the nominees, and there's going to be not, not just our New Paradigm Institute and the Seoul Foundation uh, and, uh, and uh, the, the, air, the safe air, aerospace people, you know, that, that we make up the, the, uh, the UAP uh, Disclosure Foundation, the, the, our three groups, okay? We represent citizenry in this. Then yeah. there's the, the, the majority leader and minority leader of the Senate, the majority uh, leader, the Speaker of the House, and the leader of the minority in the House. Uh, there is the Secretary of Defense. Uh, there is the uh, the uh, head of the uh, the archives. Uh, all uh, uh, the, in the American Historical 
society. You know, all of us have been authorized by the statute to submit nominees to the president. So we will have we will submit our nominees within 30 days uh, of the passage of the statute. Uh, president Biden will have 30 days to decide which among those nominees or others that he can choose uh, are going to be submitted to the United States Senate, just like Supreme Court justices. Uh, and then the United States Supreme, the United States uh, Senate is going to have 30 days within which to convene hearings uh, on those appointments. Uh, and they're going to be required to conduct those hearings within 30 days. This is a fast track in that regard. Uh, and then that if they reject any one of them, uh, then like a Supreme Court justice gets denied, it goes back to the president and the president has 30 days more to replace that nominee. Okay, and then the the United States Senate has to vote uh, within 30 days of that. So you add those up and you get like 30 days, 30 days, 30, you get like 90 days in there. Right. And then then uh, once the once the panel is seated, once the panel is seated uh, there, the clock starts running on a 300 day period during which the all of these, you know, six military services, uh, 18 intelligence agencies, 32 defense department agencies, and all of these aerospace industry uh, people who have possession of some of this technology are required to turn over all that information at the end of a 300-day period. And as I mentioned, it has to be in a digital format. It has to have it has to be searchable, uh, and they have to cough all of that up, and they have to turn it over to the panel. Okay, and then there's another 180 days that starts to run uh, during which all of the information that is more than 25 years old, which will cover all the way back to Roswell and a lot of other major historical yeah. events that have taken place here, the creation of the MJ-12 group, if that's what it was called, all of that information has to be revealed to the public <clears throat> unless the president himself or herself by that time, you know, decides that a particular piece of information has to be postponed from public revelation. Okay, but the rest of it has to be revealed within 180 days. So you add those things up, and and what you're looking at is is like uh, like four uh, 480 days. Yeah. About you know from the time of the passage of the of the statute, uh, there's going to be this huge uh, uh, dump of information. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's going to come out. Uh, and what the New Paradigm Institute is going to be doing is processing all of that information. Uh, in trying to get it out in a comprehensible, uh, bite-sized chunks <laughs> to the American public uh, in the form of documentary films, in the form of white papers, in the form of, of public statements that are going to be made, uh, meetings that are going to be held, convened. In the meantime, we're going to be trying to convene the, the leaders of the major religious orders uh, on the planet uh, to hold a summit conference during that 480-day period to prepare for this so that they can prepare their protocols as to how, what kind of updating or modifications they may or might want to make in our theological understanding. That's going to be an easy one because the fact is in every one of the major religious traditions, there's a much higher, much more esoteric understanding of what the relationship is between human consciousness in the actual material manifestation of the world uh, than has been publicly revealed to all of their members. Yeah. Uh, for example, the Catholic Church, most of the doctrines were formulated back in the Middle Ages. Right. When, uh, you know, 95% of the people were illiterate uh, and didn't even go more than 50 miles from where they were born in their whole life. 
you know, and they've ossified those kind of doctrines. Now, those have to be revisited and have to be modified to take into account the much more esoteric dimensions of reality that have been discerned through their monks and monasteries and their, their theological writings, etc. So they're going to have to make a decision collectively as to how much they're going to come forward with. It's extraordinarily true. They have yeah. to come forward with a with a revelation of additional information to the people. Uh, and all this is going to be going on during this 480-day period. Yeah, well, and I know you just have a minute left right now. So um, I, I just want to take a, a moment to personally thank you. Uh, thank you for all your efforts. It's uh, You've been doing incredible work. Uh, we hope to hear more from you. And uh, we, we can find all your work. Uh, where can we find all your work? At the newparadigminstitute.org. Okay. Well, thank you so you much. Go to Romero, the Romero Institute dot uh, org is yeah. where our other cases, such as the Pentagon Papers case and Watergate burglary and the Karen Silkwood case and other things, and all of our work on global climate change, those are over at the Romero Institute dot org. Yes. Well, again, uh, thank you so much, and uh, we really appreciate it. So take care. Terrific, James. I appreciate it. It's been uh, a pleasure tell, and honor. Tell all the people, tell all the people to call their senators and congressmen right away. Get on the phones, you know, get on the emails, get go go to the Romero, go to the new paradigminstitute.org and get their names and email contact information. It's all right there for you. Yes, sir. You take care. Terrific. Thank yeah. you very much, James. Absolutely. An honor. Be well. Bye. Be well.